are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today, as always, is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing today? I am fantastic, as always, sir, and you? I'm good. I'm doing good. It is good to be chatting with you today, and it's uh, good to be um, digging into our topic of today's podcast, really. Uh, I'm excited about our guest and, and excited to be unpacking this, uh, this um, challenge that I, I feel so many manufacturers have, which is how do you really get to a level of differentiation, and how do you present yourself to the market as a manufacturer in a way that is uh, truly different. There seems to be a sea of sameness out there a bit, and I'm hopeful that today's guests can shed some light on how they've done that. For sure. I mean, you know, there's only so many times that you can be, you know, a manufacturer that leads with quality and great people and uh, excellent customer service. I mean, it's (laughs) awfully hard to be different when, (laughs) when those are the things that you're standing up. Yes, uh, uh, it's uh, it's laughable and we chuckle, but I mean, it's uh, I think it's true, and it's a time when many manufacturers that they if they looked in the mirror a bit, um, uh, they may may cringe at uh, how much their messaging just follows that uh, the QSP model, <laughs> the, the the quality <laughs> service and our people and in people. some some order there. Yeah, for sure, and I and I mean, marketing agencies are are uh, no different, you know, in a lot of ways. Well, we'll uh, try to diagnose their problems on another podcast, <laughs> potentially. But for now, we have... Doctor, heal thyself. <laughs> exactly. um, yes, yeah, so <laughs> joining us today is uh, Keith Mackey, the Director of Communications from Cascade Engineering, Inc. Keith, welcome to The Cooler Ring. Thank you. I'm glad to be on your podcast. We are glad to have you and, um, and really glad to be uh, chatting with you about this uh, challenge of differentiation that uh, manufacturers face. And Cascade Engineering has really, uh, you know, taken a different approach here and, and leading um, a bit with its heart on its sleeve, I might say, with a triple bottom line approach. Um, talk to us a little bit about that uh, and introduce us to your role with the firm as well, Keith, if you would. Sure. Uh, we're a privately held family company that was started in, in 1973. I won't go uh, over a year-by-year history, but it's important to get grounded into kind of how we began. Fred Keller, our founder and chair, started the business, and uh, he really started the business with two uh, strategic uh, moves that he wanted to make. One was, like most businesses, he wanted to be financially successful. But the second objective he had was to make a business in which people liked coming to work, in which people uh, were valued uh, as human beings, uh, not only for their contributions, but for themselves. And uh, Fred is a wonderful human being. And uh, one of the things that uh, he has really even by observation and and inspired in in many of us, me included, is humility. And the importance of humility uh, and the importance of not always bragging or overstating, uh, you know, what our company does and who we are. And uh, I I welcome uh, that philosophy because I've always believed 
as a marketing person that you can't get too caught up in the in the current day hype. And, and you mentioned earlier, you know, qualis, quality and service and delivery. Um, you know, almost anybody that's anybody that's still in business today can probably uh, claim those accolades. But uh, we long believed, as as Fred instilled in the organization, I've been only I've been here eight years, so put that into perspective. Uh, business is forty five years old, and um, one of the things that Fred consistently talked about is this value, the value of every individual. And it's important that they feel valued. And it's important that they come to a place where they like to work. And uh, over the many years that, that we've been in existence, uh, we've kind of honed that messaging. And uh, in the late 90s, a gentleman named John Elkington, who uh, lives in the UK, coined a phrase, uh, triple bottom line. And that phrase has gained in popularity, but basically the uh, premise is that businesses should be more than profit generators. And they should also be looking at uh, people, planet and profit as the triple bottom line. So every strategic decision we make here is based on having a positive impact on those three elements. And we always start with people. So, is it fair to say that is it fair to say that the the triple bottom line, when when that was presented then in the late nineties and 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 started to gain in popularity, that it kind of in some ways um, it gave you um, it gave the firm a, a a voice through which to express uh, values that were there from the start, from the sounds of things. Yes, that, that's a very accurate description. It was almost. Uh, you know, a, a, nomen, a nomenclature where we really could be become attached to it and understand it and appreciate it because it really reflected our values. So it finally uh, kind of stated our purpose for us. And uh, so we, because we're privately held in a family-owned business, uh, we don't produce an annual report. We produce a triple bottom line report. Uh, every year, and we started that process in 2004. And in that triple bottom line report, just like you would report financials as a publicly held company, we report uh, analytics on people, planet, and profit. So, you know, the, the common ones would be, you know, annual revenue. So we have a 10 year history that we share with the publics. Uh, our uh, percentage of uh, philanthropic dollars that we spend per year as an organization. We have a welfare to career program, which I'll get into in a minute, but we talk about uh, retention rates uh, in that program. And so we look at, uh, because we're a plastic injection molder, that's the primary uh, kind of core capability for Cascade. We have nine businesses here most of them involved in plastic injection molding of some sort, usually of very large parts. And we track the use of recycled plastic. So year over year, uh, we use that data and present it in this TBL report. So last year, for example, we used 29 million pounds of recycled plastic in our products. So the triple bottom line hasn't only been kind of a uh, 
culture bear. It's also been a uh, reporting tool where we can report back to our customers and our employees and our publics, you know, how we're doing. And the importance of that report is its, uh, is its transparency. And how long have you been doing it? Uh, 2004. We're well into it now. Yeah, we're well into it now. So in that, in the book is is uh, we design and publish the book here internally. Um, we we were run much like an internal ad agency, much like your organization, much smaller. But we um, design and publish uh, that annual report here, and it's always follows kind of a similar format. We we open up a gatefold with kind of a description of our purpose or values or, or a theme. And then we divide the sections into people, planet, and profit and tell stories related to those three elements. We close uh, in the back spread with uh, our analytics. And uh, then we make sure that we publish that. We're on a fiscal year, so our fiscal year ends on August 31st. And we compile all the data and then present it as a publication annually. And I'm assuming that when you did that in 2004 for the first time, I mean, that would have been a fairly um, uh, unique thing. I, I, I would assume that many of the uh, customers or other stakeholders that would be receiving that report would be receiving such a thing for the first time. Um, so beyond that initial uh, reaction, how has it evolved? Uh, how have... I guess, how have those uh, those publics, uh, various such as they are, um, responded to this over the, the last 14 years? Well, I, you know, when you start out uh, doing something at that time that was, uh, you know, breaking new ground in the business community, uh, you're always somewhat isolated in, in stating your purpose. But uh, the irony of it, if you will, is many, many organizations now talk in terms of triple bottom line thinking. So they feel it's important that they not only address the profitability of their organizations, but they also emphasize the importance of people, you know, having quality, good people. And occasionally, not, not quite as many stress uh, environmental performance, but for us, it was a way to establish, you know, anything related to strategic initiatives. So over time, uh, what transpired was you have those core beliefs. And right about the same time Elkington coined triple bottom line, we also started a program that is fairly well known and gaining uh, more popularity or, or as people find out about it. But we have a welfare to career program here. And the idea, which was really started by Fred and another gentleman who worked here named Ron Jimerson, was that uh, the economy was much like it is today. We were in southwest Michigan, and uh, the talent hunt was on uh, because we had very low unemployment, late 90s. This is before the, the 2000, 2001 uh, dot-com bust. And uh, everybody was looking for talent. And Fred really believed that uh, people that were receiving welfare benefits could possibly be a source for talent. And, and he believed deeply that the stigmatized idea that uh, people on welfare are not interested in working, they just want to collect benefits, they're lazy. He never believed that for a minute. And he really believed strongly that we could look to that pool in our community 
and, and it's big for us to, we're really heavily involved in our community here, Grand Rapids, Michigan. We have other facilities around the uh, United States, uh, but here in Grand Rapids, uh, we really started to look to that population as a source for talent. And like anything, we had some tremendous, horrendous failures when we first attempted to do it. So the first idea we had is uh, we'll work with the state to subsidize a full passenger van, nine passenger van, and we would hire a driver and it ended up being six employees from the welfare community, which were out of the busing uh, zone at that time. You know, we're, we're out of the urban area of Grand Rapids. We're about 25 miles out of the downtown perimeter. So we'd get these people, one would drive the van, they'd all show up to work, we'd give them a job, we'd give them an opportunity, and uh, that should be that. Well, uh, about two weeks into the program, some of these folks were dropping off, and, and about two weeks to the day, nobody showed up for work, including the van or the driver. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we realized that although we thought it was a good idea to hire people uh, from that population, we had no idea what they were dealing with. So they're working for the first time in their lives and uh, have no idea about the rules of work, what work's all about, you know, schedules, those kind of things. And we just assumed that would be known to them. So we really had to sit back and rethink the whole process because what we learned was that you have people coming from a middle-class kind of mentality about what work is, what work should be, behaviors and rules of work. And you're dealing with individuals who come from generational poverty where their whole existence is survival. And it's not survival for a few weeks, it's survival for that day. And it really became apparent to us that we really had to educate ourselves as well as educate these individuals about the rules of work and we had to do a lot of training and deep soul searching. Uh, simple example is I'm a, I'm a line supervisor. My whole day is based on the number of parts I get out the door and ship to the customer. And I don't care if you don't have adequate transportation, you don't have daycare for your children. I don't care about any of those things. And I don't care what your excuses are for being tardy or late or absent. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. All I know is I'm not fulfilling what I'm supposed to do to the organization. And so uh, I'll keep this story fairly short. One of the monumental things we did is we worked with the state of Michigan, the Department of Human Resources, and we co-paid uh, a state caseworker or a social worker to be the first social worker, caseworker on site here at Cascade Engineering. It, it had never been done in the country that we're aware of. And her name was Joyce Gutierrez Marsh. And she joined us in late 1999. And her responsibility was to uh, recruit and hire and train these individuals as they were incorporated into the organization, and she was there to listen to their specific needs. And 
it turned the whole program around. Our retention rates were hovering around 20%, uh, quickly moved to 60. And now, uh, per our TBL report, they're about 96% for the last 10 years, and we track that monthly. That's unreal. And I mean, it's it's truly the, the power of empathy yes. to really understand what people are going through. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, for example, Joyce had resources, you know, that she had ready access to and, and knew even existed for things like safe child care and transportation sources. And uh, she could also ask questions of these individuals that our human resources uh, professionals cannot. You know, she could ask questions like, are you pregnant? Are you on drugs? Do you come from an abusive relationship? Are your children safe while you're gone? And because of that, she could not only befriend these people, but she could also offer them resources that uh, we as a company may not have even known existed. And she became their ally or the bridge between Cascade Engineering and, and uh, these individuals. So it's been a tremendous success story. And Joyce just retired two years ago. And, you know, we don't track this. Uh, and we probably have put, you know, rough guess, maybe 1,000 to 1,200 people through that program. We still are very actively involved. Uh, and, and people here are part of that program. One of the things we do do is we let them decide whether they want to share that information with their coworkers or not that they're, they're here on the Welfare Career Program. And... Uh, Many uh, want to talk about it. Uh, two uh, things really come to mind. One is they're very proud of their accomplishments, and they take great pride in what they've been able to accomplish, which is, which is really, it's, it's richly rewarding just to observe. And the other thing is that they are realizing that they can be self-supporting. And they're usually the first generation to break uh, out of generational poverty, which is which is a great accomplishment. You're listening to the Coolering Conversations on Manufacturing Marketing. Don't forget to subscribe now at coolapartners.com/slash/thecoolering. That's k-u-l-a-partners.com/slash/thecoolering. Keith, I think that's just such a f- fantastic example of uh, how you've really brought your. Um, uh, really brought that that triple bottom line thinking uh, to life with real actionable uh, yeah. programs and initiatives, and I know that this is just one of, of many. Right. And there's no question that you know Cascade is an example that you know if you do this right, it, it changes what you do as an organization, and I think if you do this right. It, it 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 changes who you are as an organization. You were just mentioning, you know, uh, line supervisors now need to be concerned about you know, did, does an employee have proper transportation to get yeah. to work? They need they need to change how they go about it. Yeah, I'm curious about the next layer of change too. How has it changed how the market has responded to you? You know, <laughs> come in. Uh, speaking about this from, from two gentlemen in the business of marketing and advertising, it is, is kind of anathema, but I'll say it anyways, is that we really do not advertise. And uh, as, the, as the director of public relations, we do very little in the way of public relations. Because I really believe 
And we really believe that our story is best told by someone else. So opportunities like this, you know, to talk with you, Jeff and Carmen, give us an opportunity to tell our story. And you can learn a little bit more about us. But this is in no way meant to be a commercial or meant to be a uh, do business with us uh, kind of a conversation. It, it merely is positioned to let you know what we believe in as an organization. And um, the net result is that we found that uh, our customers want to do business with us. And we have a very impressive list of customers, which I can share with you a little later on. But it really has been um, rewarding because we receive numerous requests and there's three or four of us here who do a considerable amount of public speaking because they want to hear our story and they don't want to hear our commercial. They want to hear about all the things we're talking about. So, you know, kind of as a, uh, a, a limb off of the tree of welfare to career, as we started to look at returning citizens or those people had formerly been incarcerated, as another avenue to look for uh, talents. And that, again, has proven to be a very, very successful program for us because we believe that many people uh, do uh, go to prison, uh, maybe sometimes unfairly, maybe sometimes justified, but we really believe they deserve a second chance. And it's very difficult when you are released from prison, having been incarcerated, to even reformulate your identity, let alone get work. So in that sense, we developed an application form that here in the United States, and you may have that there in Canada too, that uh, when you fill out an application, you usually have to say whether you've committed or been <clears throat> convicted of a felony or a misdemeanor. And that automatically, <clears throat> excuse me, although unfair and illegal uh, happens every day. But we believed that we wanted to hire people based on their enthusiasm, their willingness to work, their energy level, their personality. And we leave that question for the second or third interview, although we do have them divulge that so we can be understanding of, you know, that past history and what crimes they have committed and, you know, the severity of the crime. Uh, but we really want to judge them initially on them as people versus, uh, you know, an ex-con, which is frequently uh, used as, as a, you know, as a reason not to hire somebody. And we, we believe that's another uh, mistake. And, and like our Welfare to Career program, our retention rate of those joining us from the Returning Citizens program has been very high, upwards of 95%. Uh, Keith, I, I feel like... Um, I feel like in some ways the, uh, the, the, the spirit that Cascade Engineering brings to this um, actually comes through in, um, in the way you present it because you're, well, if you don't mind my saying, you're, you're somewhat hesitant to speak of any uh, particularly positive uh, marketing or sales impact of the initiatives, although I think you acknowledge that you have a, a, a significant customer list that, in some ways is obviously due to um, who you are as a company, clearly. Um, but it, it seems as though maybe as a marketer, 
um, that this has led to, uh, I guess, um, maybe that you as a marketer in the marketing organization within Cascade, I, I get the impression perhaps you're measured a bit differently or it's thought of as a bit, a bit differently within the corporate function. Can you drill down on that a little bit more for me? Yeah. You know, our, our objective here is um, to really reflect the organization and our principles and our beliefs. So where most organizations, and, I, and I've worked for a number of them, uh, their whole drive for marketing is, is kind of promotional and advertising and telling our story and let's make sure our website reflects everything we do and let's sell hard and, uh, you know, generate uh, lists and leads. And um, our perspective and my perspective as the director of this activity is that our main objective is to share our story with the public in general. That's our customers. That's our community. Uh, that's the business community. Because I think at the end of the day, um, you want to be involved in making a difference in people's lives. And truly, truly doing that with meaning and purpose is very important to me. And it's important to the organization. So it really is more of a, our brand, I guess, uh, to go back to that is, is, is really humility. And our brand is really a triple bottom line brand, meaning make sure everything we do has a positive impact on our people or you know, the environment and, and also on profitability. But the importance of that is that we can really be true and, and, and honest with ourselves. I don't have to spend time writing copy and uh, figuring out how I'm going to position the words to say we're great. Why would you want to deal with anybody else? And, uh, you know, it, it's just not in our makeup. And one of the things that's very rewarding to me is our, our efforts as, as kind of the internal marketing advertising uh, department or group of people is really to almost, we use a lot of our work for internal communications. So we spend a great deal of time on, on design, graphic design and presentation design, because I think design is another way to show that you care and well-executed design uh, speaks for the entire organization. So well-organized presentations and well-organized communications uh, are reflective of the organization. And I don't spend too much time uh, about increasing our exposure or, you know, are, are we gaining leads or are more people attracted to us? Our time is primarily spent making sure we communicate to our people their value and the value to the organization, as well as our customers and our publics, just understanding what we deeply believe in. And that, that may, say, may sound kind of cute, but uh, in all sincerity, we really do believe that our organization has a higher purpose, and, and that purpose goes beyond profitability it's to make sure that, that the individual knows they're valued and, and they, they, can, they can 
really do something with their lives if they believe in themselves. And, and when these individuals, particularly from those two programs, know they're valued and supported, they transform their lives themselves. And one other, one other thing that, that I've noticed um, over time, because I have worked for other organizations, and, and I think you can relate to this. We have all walked into a service. I've walked into a lot of manufacturing plants uh, in my life or any business. And you can tell within 15 seconds of entering that business what the culture is like. Are they smiling? Are they friendly? Do they really care about helping you? Do they, are, they, are they open and relaxed? Or are they so stressed out and so steamed about whatever their job is that they could care less about you as a customer? So one of the things that I think that's a byproduct of what we believe in here is you know, I would invite you to come and walk through our facilities. We have 14 facilities, uh, 13 here in the United States. We also have an organization in Budapest, Hungary. And I would walk, I invite you to walk through any one of those facilities and you'll see smiling, engaged people who care about each other and about you. And uh, there have been places where the attitude, walk, particularly in manufacturing plants, particularly in the automotive industry years ago, where the environment was, was truly hostile. And it's sometimes dangerous, which uh, believe it or not, it's true. Um, but when you have a culture where people truly believe and trust each other and value each other, it creates harmony. And harmony creates a tremendous uh, pride in, in what everybody does, no matter what it is that they do. Because collectively together, you know, when, when people observe that you are willing to hire people that are on welfare, or when they observe that you're willing to hire people that have been formerly incarcerated and give them a second chance, those people who aren't even involved in those life situations recognize that you care about them. And in turn, it telegraphs to those other individuals that you care about everybody here. And everybody's meaningful. To the organization. So um, I don't know if I've answered your question, but, but it's very different than traditional organizations or a traditional role marketing would play in, in many of the organizations I've worked for. I think you've, you've served to illustrate that incredibly well. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm left with one question, uh, just a curiosity as we're nearing uh, the end of our time together today. Mm-hmm. Um, as you've grown and uh, and things have begun gotten more global, frankly, you just mentioned the the facility in Budapest. Um, have there been any challenges uh, in extending this culture? And uh, as the family has grown, or, or or maybe put the other way, what have you done to ensure that um, this spirit remains as the company grows? Well, one of the things we try to do is when you run nine very different businesses, so we make large uh, rolling uh, trash and recycle carts. We make really large exterior components for large trucks, semi-tractor class eight kind of trucks. Uh, They're massive parts. Uh, We make pallets and bins for agriculture and industrial use. We are 
uh, one of our main customers is Herman Miller, a furniture company here in Grand Rapids. It's, that's somewhat renowned and we've always been involved on most of their high end chairs and particularly in the chair back design. Aaron would, would come to mind as one of those chairs I'm talking about. And, uh, we've developed, uh, great relationships with our customers. And I think what really differentiates us from everybody else is that we've kind of stayed the course on this, on this philosophy or belief. Yes. As you grow, it gets harder and harder to make sure that everybody understands the culture. So, you know, when you're one organization, one geographic location, it becomes easier to uh, for people to observe, you know, the culture. And, and mainly we work very hard with our leaders to make sure they understand um, uh, servant leadership. So um, I, I've recognized for many years that the people that work for you and with you, they'll decide your fate. Too many people have this misguided notion that if they do everything their boss or their superior tells them to do what to do, they don't really have to worry about anything. That, that, that's their future growth uh, or career track. And, and that is so far from the truth. The people that work with you closest will determine your fate every day. And they'll undermine you if you treat them unfairly and unjustly. So part of this is, in, in getting back to your question, it's truly the culture of the organization that drives everything you do. And it's your behavior that your employees observe that will determine you know, how they feel about themselves, how they feel about the organization. And culture isn't something that you can plan in your strategic plan. It's not something you can mandate. It's not something you can demand. It really is a daily, daily effort to make sure people know they're valued and that you walk your talk. And people, anybody uh, in any organization is watching what the leaders do. They won't say it and they won't speak to it, but they're observing daily and your actions speak volumes. Keith, I think this has served as a, as a powerful reminder of that uh, the power, frankly, of uh, leading by example. I thank you for sharing the story today and for sharing uh, a, a bit of insight into Cascade Engineering's progress uh, thus far. We, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much uh, for joining the Cooler Ring today. Well, I, I sincerely thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.